and uh, knee cartilage uh, or cartilage in the human body the articular cartilage has been a very vexing problem for the for the doctors and the surgeons for centuries and you know uh, still you know very fascinating we still don't know how it works why it works that way i think around 3 years ago or during the peak covid i think first wave i was involved in a meeting pan europe where all the top uh, knee experts and uh, you know regenerative medicine experts were having a zoom meeting and the first time i heard about this new concept where the fat of the human body can be taken and the cells from the fat can be harvested and those cells can be a game changer in the treatment of arthritis you know uh, where you oh, don't wow. need cortics but in that's one end of the spectrum where you can treat the knee arthritis without actually surgery you know with a very minimal you know less is more that kind of a concept so that's the first time i heard so i subsequently heard again uh, a year and a half ago you know when because i'm quite academic you know even during covid and everything is shut up you know i organized around four international meetings you know in the country wow. you know my center uh, trained around 10000 orthopedic surgeons in india and southeast asia so it was wow. a kind of accomplishment for a small unit like myself so that was really uh, fantastic so during that time one of the meetings uh, one group of scientists they came and presented their work and as really you know, blown over by the kind of uh, academic acumen they had and things like that where they were uh, looking at uh, this fat and you know Uh, manipulating the fat minimally and getting uh, you know what they call as the svf and then you know uh, sort of grafting it to the knees and getting a good outcome and i'm i'm a very passionate believer of evidence based medicine i look at all the papers the statistics whether they've done it right is there a con involved or you know is it genuine so i really go to the end of the thing you know the end of the earth to make sure the technology is right for my patients hi welcome to the idea sandbox podcast i have with me dr shrikant kn on the podcast today it's part 2 of the conversations that we had um dr shikant is a fellow of the royal college of surgeons england frcs as is pop- popularly known as this is a conversation that i wanted to have to discuss some of the challenges that as he sees it um in the indian healthcare system and what kind of solutions we can come up with i was just curious about a variety of things i have been personally affected by the indian healthcare system uh due to various interactions with it um myself as my relatives and uh i think there's a lot of room for improvement and uh, i wanted to hear it from an expert as to what his prescriptions are his recommendations are um and he is a candid individual you will see in the podcast i hope you can take something useful away cheers and love from the idea sandbox thank you about the things that we want to get into today let's get into the first i think juicy topic what made you move back from the uk practicing medicine in the uk back to india I, as i understand it you've practiced uh being a doctor there for 14 plus years and then at some point you moved back and you kind of i don't know i'm just curious what made you move back same region in the southwest of the uk uh i was coming close to my exit exam which is a forces orth exam uh, which i completed and uh, after completion of that uh, exit exam which is the last exam an orthopedic surgeon sort of takes uh you know i uh, went on to like all other local uh, uh, surgeons in the uk uh, do fellowships and uh, i was always fascinated by uh, uh, joint replacement surgery hip and knee surgery 
uh, and hence I started my first fellowship in uh, Plymouth Teaching Hospitals. Uh, uh, you know, it's called Derryford uh, Teaching Hospitals in the south coast of the UK, and it was a general medical uh, council of the UK recognized fellowship. And uh, this was in 2011 when I uh, uh, did quite a lot of uh, independent operating. Uh, using computer-assisted surgery and robotics, which was quite new at that time. And I really enjoyed it. You know, it was a fascinating uh, aspects of my life uh, where you know I, I learned how to use the computer navigation. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Okay, yeah. So I'll, I'll carry on. If it happens three, four times, then we'll call it. Okay, yeah, good. yeah, yeah, sounds um, good. Yeah, so great. I put uh, Jennifer the teaching hospital services in Plymouth, which is in the south coast uh, of the UK. And uh, I'm you know, very fortunate to do this General Medical Council of the UK recognized fellowship in navigation and robotics. And, uh, you know, learned uh, at that time, way back in uh, 2011, uh, that uh, the human knee is a three-dimensional structure and it needs a three-dimensional solution, you know, not a two-dimensional solution. And that was my takeaway, uh, having done around 400, 500 uh, uh, navigated surgeries of the knee and the hip, and also a lot of revision surgeries. Uh, you know, my uh, train was a fantastic uh, human being and uh, a great uh, revision surgeon. So it was really enjoyable. From there, I moved to Bristol, uh, where I did another fellowship uh, uh, with the UK European Hip Surgery. He was a big man. Uh, I mean, so he, had, he was a designer surgeon for a, a Zimmer Biomet kind of uh, cup. So he was as big uh, in the world as it gets. So it was really good to understand that aspect of uh, how to become a designer surgeon. What are the people you rub your shoulders uh, against when you meet uh, uh, class acts of uh, surgeons like, like him, you know, Mr. Edward Smith. So I worked with him for one year and with uh, his colleague, Dr. Anthony Ward, who is a director of pelvic establishment surgery for the southwest of UK. And uh, uh, again, he's an amazing uh, human being, an amazing uh, surgeon. Uh, he had a kind of a three-dimensional anatomy of the pelvis in his mind. And, you know, all that he would do is uh, look at a few slides of the CT and on the day of surgery, just put the screw and it will go exactly where he wanted, really. And, you know, that was accuracy. And I've not met a surgeon that uh, caliber really. So it was fun uh, working with them. And uh, because I was quite senior, uh, they both were quite happy uh, and they're both busy. So they just uh, leave things on me. So it's carry on with knee replacement surgery, carry on with hip replacement surgery. So it was good to have an independent operating in the UK on the, on the local white uh, population. Uh, even when the, my bosses were away and uh, gave a lot of confidence really. And, uh, you know, having trained in Plymouth, it was uh, very handy for them to give this additional responsibility to me and not worry from Europe, oh, what is she is getting up to, you know, what's happening to my, my patient, that kind of a thing. And uh, in one of the meetings that uh, my boss, uh, ex-boss, uh, Dr. Edward Smith organizes, the Bristol Porthoplasty meet, it's very world famous, uh, which uh, fortunately I bring it to India in the last five years uh, to India and Southeast Asia. I met a prof from Germany, Prof. Gurkha, and uh, Prof. Gurkha doesn't need any introduction in the orthopedic world. Uh, he's one of the uh, two uh, single stage revision surgeons for the infection. So he runs, uh, he's a head of an endoclinic in, uh, in Germany, which is in Hamburg. And uh, he with Dr. Javed Parvezi is the biggest name in the joint replacement world as far as, uh, you know, uh, uh, infected revision is concerned, where they take the infected implant out and put a new implant in, in the same setting. And you need an extremely high level of expertise to do that. And uh, Dr. Javed Parvezi, well known in the uh, US, he's from the Rothman Institute and, uh, you know, uh, they're amazing human beings and uh, you know it was great to work uh, and get insights from Prof. Gurkha and learn this rare act and because you know at that time in UK in 2013 
uh, not many surgeons in, even in the UK were able to do the single stage revision. So, you know, it was beyond their competence level. So it was nice for me to learn something which is very advanced. And if I look back in the last 10 years, I don't think there are many surgeons in India doing that actually, even now. So this is the complexity of the work uh, I sort of get uh, uh, into. And you asked me a question, why, the, you know, with all the, uh, I was a consultant in the UK with a very handsome salary and everything. Why did you go, go back, come back to India? And I think it's an excellent question, really. And uh, I think there are a few reasons for that, you know, and uh, one of the biggest reason was uh, that, you know, um, you know, I sort of uh, belong to a spiritual organization called uh, Sri Ramachandra Mission. And I had my spiritual trainer, uh, Parthasati Rajgopalachari, uh, who had established ashrams in more than 120 countries at that time. Uh, but the world headquarters was in Chennai at that time. And I was very close to him. And uh, he's been my guiding light uh, uh, for more than a decade and a half, even at that time. And uh, he was not well. He had some kind of an issue uh, with his health. And uh, every time I used to come to India, you know, apply for this and that, the flight tickets and all. So it was getting very, very tedious. And I really want to be close to my the spiritual guide, you know, uh, right. during his time and he, he was unwell. And uh, in fact, he used to call me as his orthopedic surgeon. So oh, wow. yeah, additional kind of responsibility really for him, for me. So I really want to be close to him. Uh, when he was not well, you know, I, I decided that, you know, I, yeah, I need to be there. You know, I can't be traveling from UK every time to uh, Bangalore and to Chennai, but it's better to be there around him uh, when he needs me. So that was one of the main reason. And in fact, my center, uh, what we call SSOC, or Southeast Superstrategy Orthopedic Center, is also named after him, Parthasati Rajgopalachari's name. So Sarthi, I took and I made it into uh, Sarthi Super Speciality Orthopedic Center or SSOC. It's a registered body now in, in Bangalore and Karnataka and India. So that was one of the main reasons. And the second reason was my mom. My mom was elderly and I'd lost my dad uh, a decade ago, uh, you know, during my basic surgical training in Great Yarmouth. And, uh, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, because of the flight and delay and things like that, I couldn't see uh, the loss of my dad. You know, I couldn't be there for the funeral because of the Hindu tradition, they do all the things very quickly within six to eight hours. So it was impossible to get to Bangalore uh, before mm. that time. And uh, now, uh, you know, that from that experience, I really want to be close to my mom and uh, be with her uh, during her, uh, you know, sort of uh, last few decades or something, you know, just close to her. And that yeah. was like pulling me back towards uh, Bangalore. So those were two big reasons, actually. But incidentally, I happened to meet Dr. Pratap Reddy, who's the chairman of Apollo Group of Hospitals. And uh, the Apollo Group, they come every year to UK and to US to coach doctors, you know, highly qualified doctors to their groups in India. And, uh, you know, he's a very inspirational character, Dr. Pratap Reddy. And, uh, you know, uh, we, we met in a hotel next to the Indian Embassy in London. And uh, he was telling all the people that, look here, I'm a doctor, I was from US. You know, I'm a cardiologist, I do stents. And, you know, every time I was in U.S. and I used to travel to India in the 70s and 80s and, you know, putting stents on people because India was not developed at that time. And, uh, you know, there's nobody who could put a cardiac stent, you know, in the vessel. And all the politicians and uh, big bigs used to travel to U.S. and they'll get it done. And even people used to travel and a lot of expense for them traveling, flight, visa, medical tourism, so much, you know. Uh, then the, Dr. Kenny Jain Singh was the president at that time, you know, in some 80s. He said... Uh, uh, sir, why we should travel to US? You know, why don't we we give you land free land in Chennai? You come and uh, you know set up a hospital there, and you can do the same service to our people. So then, with the help of Danny Jain Singh, you know, the government moved the machinery and they created Apollo Hospital in Chennai, I think, in Prince Road or something. And he moved, 
and the rest as he said was history you know and uh, at that time when i met him in 2012 uh, or 20 look here dr khan <clears throat> i'm like you as i'm not great i'm like you and you know i'm like all of you and you, you couldn't be in uk becoming consultants if you're not good enough okay and you're good enough that's why you're all at the top of the game so when i can do it from us you know establishing 80 hospitals wow and serving the people of country and also decent money why can't you do it and that was really inspiration that was like you know, i said wow if he can do it why can't i do it and i can do it as well mm. so it gave me belief that uh, you know i can i can move back to india and serve my people because i completed my training and taken a consultant job and you know all that was you know in the indian terms was to make money you know and that, mm. that was the only thing that really so i said you know these are the reasons you know my spiritual guide is not well i could be close to him my mother is she is getting old i can be close to her and then i'd met dr pratap reddy and they offered me a, a post in the apollo hospital bangalore and that uh, sort of you know was like a icing on the cake and uh, i sort of uh, made a decision to move back uh, and my daughter was also like 7 8 years and my son was you know into uh, uh, 10 11 years and, and you know sometimes you know if you delay too much you know the children find it very difficult to adapt to a developing world you know right so i didn't want him uh, wanted them to be hit with uh, the yeah i have I wrote down as you were talking through this stuff like thank you for walking me through all of that like i had many like kind of points so um you mentioned like you went to the uk to train but you start had to start from scratch can you describe why you had to start from scratch so i think uh, you know the great question really i think uh, uh, the medical systems in different part of the world have got uh, their own uh, uh, kind of a idiosyncrasies really so mm. you know although in india because we are uh, a colony of the uk we are, we are trained in english and uh, you know i am from a very prestigious uh, medical college bangalore medical college and research center which is number 1 in karnataka Mm-hmm. And uh, the media instruction was English, and I was like a, a rank holder throughout. Like you know, I, I scored like the thirty second rank in uh, SSLC, and then twentieth wow. rank in the PUC, then fifty ninth rank in the CET, hundred and forty one wow. for engineering, and you know, medicine was fifty nine, and got straight into Bangalore Medical College in first attempt. So wow. I would always maintain the standard. So despite all these things. Uh, there is an element of uh, distrust between different medical boards mm. and the UK uh, doesn't, uh, you know, take uh, every medical board as uh, on par uh, to themselves. Uh, and again, it, it is on both the sides, really. I think uh, when the, somebody does any kind of training in the UK and wants to come back with the greatest of the skills, uh, you know, the Indian medical board treat in the same way. They try to undermine that. For example, I'll give a very famous example of the, one of the best cardiologists in the country, Dr. Naresh Trihan. He's the director of uh, Medanta uh, Heart Care in New Delhi. And he's a, one of the best uh, cardiologists in the world and definitely in Asia and definitely number one or number two for India. Mm. And uh, because he's trained extensively in the US and Europe, uh, and he didn't have an Indian kind of uh, postgraduate degree, uh, the, you know, the Indian system doesn't recognize him. Can you believe mm. it? Wow. You know, he can be treating millions of patients and helping and saving their lives. And uh, he can be doing a wonder. But if you ask the regulatory authorities in India, they'll say Dr. Naresh Triyan can't work even as a lecturer in a medical college in India. Wow, so can really? you imagine, you know, how wow. in the country, you know, by 
using arcane rules which are really stupid right, and right. very counterproductive to the people of india you know if naresh trihan can't work in india i don't think which cardiologists have to work in india really you know, i really don't know and you know that's uh, the regulatory authorities have to sit up and take notice of this and say why are we following a 1860 system you know, we right. are in 2023 we have to leave frog and change all of our arcane rules which the british left us in 18 for example mm. we had a epidemic act you know which we are which was in force in india during the covid time and this epidemic act was created in 1893 i mean like, can you believe it what are all wow. our babus do you know sitting there and doing nothing having mm. chai you know mm. their job is to create an act which is relevant to 2023 not follow the british act which was done in 1893 by the colonial occupiers to keep the local people under control mm-hmm. and it is so draconian you know anybody spitting on the street in bangalore during the covid pandemic could be arrested put in a jail with a parole you know because we are following a british law in 1893 right so i think you know our lead at all levels including the netas and the babus which are the ias officers have to really wake up and say are we doing our job honestly are we serving our country or are we going back to british rule because we can control mm. people of india them as slaves like the british did so we are now we just replace the britishers and we are just you know we can just you know do whatever they did atrocities by using old laws you right. know and then do the same thing in 2023 is that what we want to do is that what is called freedom is that why our leaders like gandhi ji and everybody lost their life this is a big question our netas which are political leaders and the babus which are administrative who wield the power in the country have to really introspect and then you know they have to realize what they are doing then only india can become a developed country Uh, do you think like it's it's also like some of the responsibility falls on the shoulders of the fraternity of of doctors and medical professionals to maybe ad- i'm sure there's advocacy boards and 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 so on to affect these laws and change uh, or or do you think or do you think there there exists this kind of institutional like a framework where you could actually advocate on behalf of you know the people uh, advocate on behalf of simplicity like you mentioned like remove all these arcane rules remove some of these draconian laws and stuff like that and 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 reform them like it sounds like we need a major reform in some of the laws and stuff and also one of one of the things i was thinking was that uh, I, i remember obama president obama back in the day saying one of the reasons why some of the you know the rules especially in the bureaucratic structures remain the way they are is because they're benefiting a small group of people and those people and those people who are benefiting have no incentive to actually go out and change things because it's unpopular maybe they're making a lot of money or there's power uh, you know in in those different rules and stuff like that so I, i'm just curious what do you think or have you have you thought about these things like as far as like a advocacy movement yeah, i think uh, uh, i think barack obama barack obama has uh, yeah the barack obama has hit the nail on the head if this is true in the us it is 100 times more true in india okay. <laughs> so if you have these kinds of arcane rules then they can control the people the population you know mm. I, i don't think doctors have any institutional board or bodies who can represent and say and nobody will wow. care a damn to that okay either wow, the medicine really or the not the uh, the babus will care a damn because uh, that means that they are giving their power to somebody else and why would they want to give the power you know power you know corrupts and absolute right. power corrupts so, even more you know, absolutely yeah thing you know i don't think anybody would want to give the power to the doctors they want to keep the power themselves and it benefits a small group of people as you rightly put it and uh, you know that's where the you know the democracy has to reform mm. and uh, you know that's where the country has to progress because 
uh, uh, real meaning of changes, they're not, not in the medicine or things like that, but it's uh, not a 1890 leadership and the Babu Dhanu. Right, right. It sounds like we need a lot of structural reforms and we need, and I'm just surprised that we don't, I mean, now that you explained how you explained it to me, it makes sense that they don't want to give away. It's all about control and power and access to, to money and, 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 and power. Like you said, it, it absolutely corrupts. And that's kind of sad to hear, uh, you know, at the same time, I'm, I'm also wondering, do you have any intuitions, Dr. Srikant, about like how we could go about doing this stuff? You know, like, is it like a very grassroots movement? Like, could, could there be a group of senior doctors that could get together and form a small kind of a steering committee of, of sorts um, that can advocate? Or you think this is more like a, this can't be a grassroots, it has to be a top down. We have to elect the right kind of people who have a vision for where India has to head in the medical. I know I'm jumping ahead because I wanted to cover these questions much later in the conversation. I don't know, I was wondering if you have any intuitions on that. I think it has to be a top-down approach, really, uh, if you want a single line answer. You know, sometimes I tweet uh, quite a lot to Prime Minister Modi, and you know, okay. he says he'll become a developed country in 2047. I, I tweet to him, it's not good enough. Mm. It has to be now. Mm -hmm. people now have to enjoy. So right. Right. Life. You know, 2047, I don't know if you will be alive or I'll be alive. What's right. Saying that India will become developed in 147 or 247. You know, don't give us hope. Give us reality. Give us good yeah. That's what it's all about. And even even if if 2047 is the let's say the target, what are the concrete actions we're taking today? Are there concrete actions that are visible and transparent to us that we are working towards that that could give us hope? You know, um, there there are like you were saying, like even this is 2019 COVID time. The you were talking about how cardiologists were dealing with infectious disease. Like that's not a step towards being a developed country, like a developed country, you're doing things based on evidence, you're doing things that make sense, you're doing things based on expertise and meritocracy, like people who are meritorious in their fields are the ones who pick. But sounds like, well, 2047 would be a pipe dream if we're still acting like, you know, the Babu, the Neta culture, the bureaucratic culture where a small group of people hold power, right? Um, I mean, this is not, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I guess my, my, I guess my, uh, uh, what do you call that? My my perspective towards this is like this is not, and, and I'm not saying anything new here. This is not isolated to the medical field, right? Like this is probably widespread in other spaces as well. That's why you see some of the dysfunction that you see. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, say if you can't get a domain expert to do his job, right? Then, uh, sorry, you know, you you're barking in the wrong uh, tree, and then you, it'll be all your uh, thing will be a pipe dream because uh, right. at least if you look at uh, India, at least the one thing good happening now is that our external uh, affairs minister or the foreign minister, mm -hmm. he's a bureaucrat. He's amazing. He knows mm -hmm. how to deal with China, how to deal with US, how to deal with Russia, how to deal with Middle East, how to deal with Pakistan, how to deal with uh, SAR countries, because he's a professional. Mm -hmm. You're honoring his skills. Mm -hmm. okay. So uh, if you just make an Anguta Chap Neta as a foreign minister, what will he do? He will just right. go putting Anguta Chap everywhere in the thing and the country will never progress. So what India has to do is really recognize talent and give them full power, like what they have done to Jaishankar, the doctor, Jaishankar. Mm -hmm. You know, give them full power and because they are domain experts, let them take their decision. Like, you know, if they made an infectious disease specialist as the head of the COVID task force, he could have done a better job than right. a cardiologist or a surgeon, yeah. you know, doing a, a 
end of the thing because I'm close to this minister, I'm close to this Babu, I'm close to this. You know, that's that's the least important. When yeah. people's lives are at stake, you know, at you stake, yeah. Get the job done. As simple as that. Right. Um, well, shifting another topic, I, another point of curiosity. What drew you towards the orthopedic uh, surgery space? Like, what? Wh why did you specialize in that space? I think I you know uh, for this. Uh, you know, I should give credit to my teachers. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, I was from a prestigious uh, uh, institu institution in uh, Bangalore. And, uh, you know, throughout, I was a, like a National Merit Scholar and, you know, uh, hitting very good ranks uh, in 10th Standard and PUC mm -hmm. and through the general coming into the Bangalore Medical College. And my professors used to say that you are the cream of intelligence, like the status wow. part. That's why you got into Bangalore Medical College. Otherwise, you would never get into this uh, kind of college. And those are very inspirational words. And uh, when, yeah. uh, when we, we are doing clinicals, uh, like, you know, our, uh, whatever you call seventh uh, SEM or eighth SEM, that kind of a time, uh, when we had orthopedics as a short course for, uh, I think, six months time, we had it. Uh, we had one of our great teachers, uh, uh, Professor J.K. Reddy, J. Krishna Reddy. And uh, so he used to come to our class in the Bangalore Medical College and teach. And, uh, um, you know, and he just described one of the very simple tests, you know, uh, which people get if they have arthritis in the head, called as a Thomas test. And uh, he just demonstrated uh, to a patient, you know, in the in the classroom. And it was uh, so simple the way he explained, and uh, it made so much of logical sense uh, that I, for me, at the end of his class, I said, "Wow, you know, I had to become an orthopedic surgeon because wow. it was logical, so simple, so nicely demonstrated." And you know, I, I was completely blown over, actually. And after my return from UK and all, uh, one of the TV channels in India asked me to give a talk about my experience. Uh, and I think there's this program called Guru Vandana or something in the, one of the channels. And I spoke about my professor. He later on became my professor in HOD when I was doing PG. And I, I spoke about him. I said, uh, this is what inspired me to become an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, unfortunately, Dr. J.K. Reddy couldn't watch the program, but his wife was a, a dermatologist. Uh, she watched it and she said, hey, look, you know, one of your students is talking about you. And I met him in a conference and he said, uh, Dr. Shrikan, I'm so happy. At least you remember the teachers. You know, my wife told that she watched the TV program in Canada. And you talked about me and, you know, that's the greatest uh, tribute, uh, you know, uh, my children and my students and due to the teacher. Mm -hmm. And I think I should really credit him you know, for me, uh, me becoming an orthopedic surgeon because he was quite inspirational. And, uh, you know, after my MBBS, uh, you know, I did uh, post-graduation. I did work under him. He was a professor at HOD, uh, unit one in uh, Victoria Hospital. And then, uh, you know, uh, when I went to the UK also, you know, I was fortunate enough to uh, work with uh, Dr. Richard W. Parkinson. So uh, uh, he was a new consultant at that time, you know, in 2000. Uh, but, uh, you know, he eventually went on to become the British Society president because a very committed, passionate uh, knee surgeon and, you know, uh, and uh, he loved cricket and my name being Srikant, like Prasmachari Srikant, we connected and, you know, we he used to take me to his private list and all. And uh, he was another inspirational person. And if I'm a knee surgeon today, mm -hmm. I love the passion. It's because of him, uh, Mr. Richard Parkinson, uh, who was also voted, uh, he was the British Knee Association uh, president from 2014 to 16 and voted the top 10 best uh, knee replacement uh, surgeons and trainers in the UK. So he was not, and I met him first time in 2000, but he went on to become a great uh, surgeon. And uh, he was an inspiration for me to, uh, you know, take up uh, orthopedic surgery, and particularly knee surgery, knee as a passion. 
Okay, so you, your your specialization is only knee, so you don't work with any other jo joints of the body. Yeah, I mean, so you can put it as a, a super specialist for the knee because you know okay. I, I uh, almost uh, you can say knowledge there is no end, but you know, but right. sometimes you they are closer to the end of the knowledge. So as far as knee is concerned, that's where you know where I am, you know, because mm -hmm. I do like augmented reality and mixed reality, which yeah. you know, people don't dream, and you know nobody is doing in Bangalore, Karnataka. Uh, only few surgeons in India are doing so. This is much beyond, you know. I'm been doing robotics uh, for last two years, but mm. you know, I started doing robotics in the last six months in Bangalore. But I've gone one step further. You know, I'm into the next zone. And always, as far as knee is concerned, I will remain one step ahead of the game. Okay. But yes, I do hip surgery. I do revision. I do sports injury. I do trauma as well. Uh, you know, I do regenerative medicine, uh, which is another passion. I'm introducing new technology in Karnataka called the joint video for that. So I'm doing all the other things as well. But this is my area of, uh, you can put it as a super specialist area. You know, my passion is about uh, knee surgery and uh, the problems associated with the knee joint. Yeah. Um, there's so many different, like I, I had an ACL tear back in 2000, uh, year 2000. And I remember going down the rabbit hole of understanding about knee surgeries and things like that. And one of the themes that emerged from my research was that the knee is, I guess, the most complicated joint in the body. Is that still true? Absolutely. You hit the nail on the head. Okay. Uh, what you're telling, many orthopedic surgeons, uh, you know, locally in Bangalore don't understand that. Now, last 10 years, that's been my campaign to make them understand that knee is not a simple joint like you see in the x-ray, but mm. knee is a complex three-dimensional hinge. And uh, I, I might have given more than 20 talks to just orthopedic surgeons in India and Karnataka and Bangalore trying to make them understand that the knee is a complex three-dimensional three hinge. There are so many ligaments uh, working in the knee and the, many of the role of the ligaments, even in 2023, we still don't understand, you know, and oh, wow. that's how fascinating the knee is really. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, it's just amazing that, you know, with, as a patient journey, you understood something beyond which many of the juniors don't, as doctors and surgeons don't understand in uh, Bangalore or Karnataka or India. Yeah, can you talk about the, like you talked about the joint veto and, and robotic surgery and things like, can you just kind of give a quick introduction into what robotic surgery is? I, I guess most people are up to speed on arthroscopic surgery. That's kind of, I guess, been, been around for a while. Can you kind of walk me through what robotic yeah. surgery is? Uh, uh, before going to the surgical aspect, we always try non-surgery. So I'll first uh, talk a little bit about the, the joint widow, which is a, a new technology that my center launched in Karnataka for the very first time. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, these kind of uh, new technologies emerged during the COVID time because all the doctors, everything was shut. I mean, so COVID basically shut the whole world down, you know, and uh, uh, only a few hospitals worked because they were essential and maybe agriculture work, that kind of a thing. So during that time, many of the experts were also like forced to like Zoom meetings and that kind of a thing. So it sort of gave them an opportunity for creativity to think out of the box and see what mm. could be done. And uh, knee cartilage uh, or cartilage in the human body, the articular cartilage has been a very vexing problem for the for the doctors and the surgeons for centuries. And you know, uh, still you know, very fascinating. We still don't know how it works, why it works that way. And, uh, you know, I think around three years ago, during the peak COVID, I think first wave, I was involved in a meeting, Pan-Europe, where all the top uh, knee experts and, uh, you know, regenerative medicine experts were having a Zoom meeting. And the first time I heard about this new concept, where the fat of the human body can be taken, and the cells from the fat can be harvested, 
and those cells can be a game changer in the treatment of arthritis you know uh, where you oh, don't wow. cortex but in that's one end of the spectrum where you can treat the knee arthritis without actually surgery you know with a very minimal you know less is more that kind of a concept so that's the first time i heard and then uh, you know i subsequently heard again uh, a year and a half ago you know when because i'm quite academic you know even doing covid and everything is shut up you know i organized around four international meetings you know in the country wow. and uh, our you know my center uh, trained around 10000 orthopedic surgeons in india and southeast asia so it was wow. a kind of accomplishment for a small unit like myself mm-hmm. you know uh, um, you know so that was really uh, fantastic so during that time one of the meetings uh, one group of scientists they came and presented their work and as really you know blown over by the kind of uh, academic acumen they had and things like that where they were uh, looking at uh, this fat and you know Uh, manipulating the fat minimally and getting uh, you know what they call as the svf and then you know uh, sort of grafting it to the knees and getting a good outcome and i'm i'm a very passionate believer of evidence based medicine i look at all the papers the statistics whether they've done it right is there a con involved or you know is it genuine so i really go to the end of the thing you know the end of the earth to make sure the technology is right for my patients then i realize that this is really good and uh, they are applied to the government of india the dcgi which is a regulatory authority like fda you know in the us they are approved it so they would not approve it without evidence because there might be legal issues and all the insurance in the country had approved it except star insurance again the insurance will not approve unless it's legal and legit you know otherwise mm-hmm. you know, patients can sue doctors can sue everybody can sue so so that sort of gave me confidence that yes these people are barking under the right thing and uh, when i introduced in uh, in in karnataka i named it as a joint widow it's a hungarian name uh, name widow means protector mm. joint protector and uh, uh, i launched it uh, here in richmond road uh, here in bangalore and my center has got exclusive rights you know from this australian company uh, to do this and what we really do here is uh, we take the fat uh, from the abdomen because most of the people have abdominal fat around 300 ml and uh, we use a patented technology from australia and then we process the fat and uh, then we get uh, this uh, what we call as stromal vascular factor and uh, you know we sort of inject this or you know graft it into both the knees and uh, this seems to be uh, producing a you know like a game changer really because uh, uh, knee has got if you look at the 3d printing of knee which is the next new thing coming in future you know they need a, a matrix extracellular matrix that's a scaffold uh, people use a biogel in 3d printing uh so this uh, joint bureau has got that the extracellular matrix then they need cells you know uh, which are important cells so we got uh, here called pericytes uh, you know which are the key cells and then you need uh, you know so the signaling signaling uh, molecules called as cytokines and this joint bureau has got that as well so all the three components of tissue engineering is actually present here and that's why it is uh, producing a fantastic result unlike you know uh, you know local anesthetic injection which was there in the past unlike steroid injection which was there in the past unlike uh, you know the prp which was there in the past this is uh, turning out to be a game changer actually i've used it in several patients they were extremely happy they ecstatic uh, so we are trying to educate the local gps uh, to uh, understand about it where if patients can avoid knee surgery that is a fantastic thing you know rather than uh, replacing you know regenerate the joint you know that's the kind of mantra which we have been pushing actually so uh, uh, it's done extremely well actually uh, and i'm very pleased with the initial uh, experience of the patients how they, this uh, technology is working uh, for those who speak the local language kannada i will say ee hosa joint video anta ondu system ide adanna navu 
ಆಸ್ಟ್ರೇಲಿಯಾದ ತಂದಿದ್ದೀವಿ ಬ್ಯಾಂಗ್ಳೂರ್ ಕರ್ನಾಟಕಕ್ಕೆ ಫಸ್ಟ್ ಟೈಮ್ ಸೊ ಇದ್ರಲ್ಲಿ ಏನ್ ಮಾಡ್ತೀವಿ ಅಂದ್ರೆ ನಮ್ಮಲ್ಲಿರುವಂತ ಕೊಬ್ಬಿನಾಂಶ ಇರುತ್ತಲ್ಲ ಹೊಟ್ಟೆಯಲ್ಲಿ ಅದನ್ನ ನಾವು ಕ್ಲೀನ್ ಡೈಮ್ ಅಲ್ಲಿ ತೆಗೆದ್ಬಿಟ್ಟು ಈ ಪೇಟೆಂಟೆಡ್ ಟೆಕ್ನಾಲಜಿನ ಯೂಸ್ ಮಾಡಿ ಆ ಇನ್ನು ಎಸ್ ವಿ ಎಫ್ ಅಥವಾ ಜಾಯಿಂಟ್ ವಿಡೋ ಅಂತ ಒಂದು ಬರುತ್ತೆ ಆ ಸಬ್ಸ್ಟೆನ್ಸ್ ನ ತಗೊಳ್ತೀವಿ ತಗೊಂಡು ಎರಡು ಮಂದಿಗೂ ನಾವು ಗ್ರಾಫ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ಮಾಡ್ತೀವಿ ಗ್ರಾಫ್ಟಿಂಗ್ ಮಾಡಿದಾಗ ಏನಾಗತ್ತೆ ರೀಪ್ಲೇಸ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ನೀವೆಲ್ಲ ಕೇಳಿರ್ತೀರ ನೀ ಮಂಡಿ ರಿಪ್ಲೇಸ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಮಂಡಿ ಚಿಪ್ ರಿಪ್ಲೇಸ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಇದು ರೀಜನರೇಟ್ ಮಾಡುತ್ತೆ ಸೊ ಅಂಡ್ ತುಂಬಾ ಬೆನಿಫಿಟ್ಸ್ ಇದೆ ಯಾಕಂದ್ರೆ ಇದು ಡೇ ಕೇರ್ ಬೆಳಗ್ಗೆ ಬಂದು ಸಾಯಂಕಾಲ ಹೋಗ್ಬೋದು ಮತ್ತೆ ಇನ್ನೋ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಆಲ್ಮೋಸ್ಟ್ ಸ್ಟಿಚ್ಲೆಸ್ ಸರ್ಜರಿ ಅಂದ್ರೆ ನಾವೇನೋ ಸ್ಟಿಚಸ್ ಯೂಸ್ ಮಾಡಲ್ಲ ಸೊ ಅಷ್ಟು ಸಿಂಪಲ್ ಆಗಿದೆ ಅಂಡ್ ಸೇಮ್ ಡೇ ದೇಶಂಟ್ ಕ್ಯಾನ್ ಗೋ ಹೋಮ್ ನೋ ಮೇಜರ್ ಅನಸ್ಥೆಟಿಕ್ ಕೈಂಡ್ ಆಫ್ ಇನ್ವಾಲ್ವ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಇಟ್ಸ್ ಅ ಶಾರ್ಟ್ ಸ್ಟೇ ಸರ್ಜಿಕಲ್ ಪ್ರೊಸೀಜರ್ ಮಂಡಿ ಮರ್ಚ್ಬೋದು ಜಾಯಿಂಟ್ so i think it's uh, it's going to be a game changer as uh, things develop so you know anybody wanting this can either contact our center through the website sssoc to google or the, you know the gunigals portal also they can contact and they yeah. can be yeah i'll be putting all the links in the description whoever wants to find you can hopefully find you easily you know your twitter handle all that stuff hopefully um i i had a question technology yeah i had a question uh, follow up for you like i guess let I, i can you describe to me what arthritis is at like for a lay person because um like two years ago or a year and a half ago i had extreme amount of back pain and then when i went to the local chiropractor in america and you know we could get into that later on but i went to the chiropractor he took a x-ray and he said you have early um stage of arthritis and it was kind of shocking to me in my in my neck and that's what he described but i don't know what um so the way he described it to me was that there's some additional bone growth around like the segments of my neck and those bone growths are kind of like you know pinching the nerves and things like that can you i guess if you can break it down and kind of give me a pretty simplistic view or layman person view of what arthritis is please i think uh, arthritis itself is a misnomer so i think uh, the right uh, term for it uh, is called osteoarthrosis that's the right term so the reason is uh, arthritis itis means inflammation it means there is inflammation it is inflammation we call itis in medicine like you know vasculitis means inflammation of the vessel so arthritis means it should be an inflammation but uh, the truth is that it's not arthritis it is osteoarthrosis so arthrosis means uh, it's a failure you know just like a heart can fail we can have a heart failure this is called as a joint failure that's why the right term for it is called osteoarthrosis that means the joint is failing okay so essentially it is a uh, a degenerative process it's a wear and tear process uh, typically associated with age and uh, where you know uh, the cartilage undergoes a lot of uh, changes uh, there you know it absorbs more water it becomes more softer so it loses its properties it starts getting split what we call as fibrillation and then it uh, becomes like a, there's a loss of cartilage uh, what we call as a crab meat appearance in arthroscopy and then finally the entire cartilage is lost and uh, i think uh, the articular cartilage which is a hyaline cartilage is at a core 
center of all these disease spectrum, whether in the neck or in the hip or the knee or at uh, ankle or wrist, it doesn't matter. Same thing, pattern is followed. So, so what uh, uh, really happens is uh, this uh, articular cartilage is a very specialized cartilage. And the way nature has designed it is unbelievable because till now 2023, no human is able to crack the code. You know, mm. that is how nature compared to scientists and human beings. So because, uh, you know, the cartilage itself is, uh, sits on the top end of the bone, you know, if this is the knee joint, it sits on top like that. And then uh, this layer is uh, completely uh, one avascular, that means it doesn't have blood supply, aneural, that means it has no uh, nerve supply, so hence there is no pain. And uh, then uh, alymphatic, there's no lymph nodes there or lymph vessels, and uh, non-immunogenic, that means it doesn't have an immunological reaction, uh, like, you know, foreign body doesn't react. So nature has kept all these things out of it. So it because mm -hmm. it wants to be like an inert structure, which should uh, help in cushioning and things like that. So if, uh, when somebody walks or runs or does anything on the knee, because this protective layer is there, which doesn't have nerves, which doesn't have blood supply, which doesn't have lymphatics, which doesn't have an immune reaction, you know, uh, it basically whatever you jump to dance, whatever you do, you know, uh, there's no pain at all. But what happens in arthritis is that, you know, I mentioned all the stages. So this cartilage is eventually lost. So in the grade four arthritis, this whole layer, you know, this layer comes off completely. So why does it get inflamed? Why, why do we start losing it? Well, I mean, how, uh, what is, is it like a, is it like a lifestyle, lifestyle choices or is it other like uh, hereditary reasons, genetic reasons? Yeah, it's a, it's basically age related kind of thing. That's the main okay. reason. So that's why, Typically, if you look at any arthritis or something or hip arthritis, it is those people who are 55 plus, you know, maybe 55 to uh, 75, 85, those are the group which get affected. So, uh, you know, that's one of the uh, fundamental reasons why it happens. So it's inevitable. So everybody yeah, yeah, will yeah, eventually. Inevitable. Yeah, inevitable. Yeah. So everybody will have it at some point. Okay. And uh, you know, when it becomes a grade four, where the complete loss is there, then, you know, the bone is exposed, subchondral bone, which has got nerves. And the two bones with the subchondral nerves rubbing on each other, that causes the pain because the painless structure is removed. So now the painful structure are coming in contact. So, and then that causes the pain. So, but as you asked, uh, you know, uh, there may be other causes also. For example, there is a young person who has a fracture to the leg, okay. And then uh, in India and in Bangalore and Karnataka, very common to go to some kind of a Kayandi Papana or something like that, traditional bone setters. Right. They don't have a scientific method. They, by their experience, they try to set it. Sometimes it is not set. Maybe eight out of 10 times, it's not set properly. So wow. you're normally loading the joint really. So once you abnormally load the joint, the joint says, no, I'm not designed to these abnormal loads. I can take normal loads. We have done a perfect job of aligning the bones perfectly, but this fellow has not done it. You know, maybe 20% is lucky. They go on, they have become the brand ambassadors in Karnataka for this whole center. And all the people, foot rupees, people think, okay, foot rupees, okay, even if my leg gets spoiled, you know, that is the kind of mentality. Man. So, what happens is that uh, joints get low, it wear and tear, and once it's completely lost, they get after it is. So, this is the mechanism. So, uh, so if there is a young person, abnormal load, she can get it. So what we call as a secondary arthritis. So first is the primary arthritis. Then there is a group of arthritis which are actually, you can call it as a 
you know inflammatory arthropathy like rheumatoid arthritis what is called sandhivayu in kind of back pain related arthritis so this whole spectrum of arthritis also which can cause knee and hip problem and neck problem and things like that so we basically divide it into primary osteoarthrosis which is a degenerative process then you know it could be inflammatory uh, that it could be infective that it could be post traumatic so like that we classify and we go accordingly so that covers yeah. the whole I wanted to ask you like really quickly on the this nati vaidya aspect of things where you said 8 out of 10 are not done properly um this is that's like that's jaw dropping right like i have to pick my jaws off the floor to to contend with that i can't imagine like so this is another quick anecdote the i was in i was in jenagar and there was this guy with uh, extreme extreme speech impediment and i had, you know he was in his 20s and i was asking him have you shown it to a speech therapist you know have you had had some kind of corrective um therapy done and then he mentioned to me the same sort of thing he he's been to nati vaidya they've done done a bunch of ayurvedic things it hasn't really worked i can you maybe talk maybe today can can you maybe talk to me about do you have any like like solutions or intuitions about what we could do about that sort of thing because that i mean in the in the big picture that is going to always impede us as a country like as far as living healthy being healthy having better outcomes in life and things like that and i understand folks in in the, in in the villages and you know people can't afford some of these surgeries they can't afford to come to big hospitals and so forth so they do it for that reason and then there's a distrust of western medicine quote unquote western medicine and stuff like that i'm sure you've thought about this do you have any kind of intuitions to talk do you have any thoughts on that yeah i think you know so i i can sum all the whole thing in one word called health illiteracy so mm. in india i think health illiteracy is a very big problem maybe 80 90% you know even educated people you know uh, even people who have qualified done bsc msc be so many things you know wow uh, everything uh, it it surprises me it really surprises me because yeah this uh, is very very uh, logical very very you know two plus two is four that kind of a thing really and now we have got evidence based medicine you can if you're really good you know you can google it or pubmed and find exactly what is the treatment what is the stage is it stage 1 or stage 2 3 4 for each one there is a definite clear cut guidelines and there's no confusion okay so having said that you know still you know our country around 1995% is filled with health illiteracy that's why they run to this one and it's not just about the village people who run even educated people run you know sure I, I mean, I'm uh, really surprised. Sometimes patients do come to me, and they come and say, uh, "Sir, I want to go to this Nati Vaidya in Mysore who treats my neck pain, and please write down, you know, uh, write down a prescription for a neck X-ray because my Nati Vaidya is basically a quack. He's busy, okay, because he sees hundred patients a day uh-huh. and charges thousand rupees uh, 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 per patient, okay, and he doesn't have time to do a form for my X-rays." but i as a super specialist should sit here and come <laughs> for him and charge 500 rupees and he calls me as a looter you understand where i am coming from yes back in my store pay him 1000 rupees wait whole day okay get treatment and rather than come to a specialist and get it treated you know this is you know if i don't call it as health literacy i can't call it as anything else okay this yeah. is what, okay but you know there are several reasons for that as you mentioned quite a few things you know uh the problem is uh, you know uh, again come back comes back to leadership because you know the leadership the role of the leadership is to understand okay 
what is our population? So we are the largest populated country in the world. Okay, what are the common diseases that we have? Which area of the country has got these diseases? So what is the kind of skill set we need for this area? Say Assam, or Kerala, or Bangalore, or Karnataka. How many doctors should be produced logically for this? Mm. Or diseases somewhere too much of cancer is there in Kashmir, kangri cancer or something like that. How many cancer specialists do we need in Kashmir? Okay, in five years, ten years. This is how healthcare is planned in a developed country. Mm. None of that happens in India. It's very very ad hoc. Very very you know they don't have a vision. Oh, I'm here for five years. How much money I can make in five years and go? You know, okay. sure the next government will come and do undo all the good schemes that I have done. You know. Yeah. <laughs> problems you know the next government comes they have to because they are opposition party they have to oppose all the good things that the previous government has done so if this kind of third world mentality is there and leadership then you know the country goes nowhere because somebody is pulled in one direction the opposition party comes to power they pull exactly the nullify opposite. the whole thing yeah they'll stay in the country stays here it doesn't go this way it doesn't go that way but if they have a constructive approach and they say yes i might hate this guy prime minister i might hate him to his bones but he has done some good things now i am the prime minister i am from the opposition party but he has done some goods let's support some of these and let's push the country forward then there is a future for the country okay if they say okay for the hell because it's a different party i have to do opposite then there is no future and then yeah. this kind of health illiteracy 95% become 100% okay even among the educated so i think you know uh, yes that's you know we don't have the enough number of doctors that's the problem qualified doctors and uh, second is that uh, healthcare is expensive okay government in a way in india has absorbed washed its hands of the healthcare service okay in because i come from nhs which is uk where 95% of healthcare is done by the government okay mm-hmm. so and you know, healthcare is like uh, sacrosanct in the uk and mm-hmm. if any government that labor or uh, you know the opposition conservative say that we will take nhs off from the people they will get booted out out, yeah. out of power by the they kick them out Mm-hmm. they don't care all the babus will go netas will go if nhs is touched nhs mm-hmm. is like almost like a csc kind of thing in india you know you can't touch that uh, segment you know if you touch you are in trouble you'll be in jail so yeah. nhs is like that so i think that has to happen in india healthcare has to become the number one issue for the country and any government which doesn't address the real issue of healthcare should be booted out okay if the people of the country can be educate themselves to that level and do that india will be overnight developed world overnight tomorrow to be a developed world. okay so till that happens you know it's it's going to be a challenge so essentially you know we need proper leadership who can plan okay in 5 years i need so many these specialists in this particular area of india so then we can change the india so that's the one concept they need to get and uh, then uh, they should say how can we make it affordable nationalize the whole damn health what is the problem why can't you nationalize uk has done it nationalize the whole thing there's nothing wrong in it but there's a cost element to it right there's oh, yes, a... indeed you know we are supposed to be the most populous country in the world and we say that we are the first we are bigger than uk economy blah 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 but we spend 1 to 2% of the gdp on the health mm. we spend 10% of our gdp on defense to kill people to produce a brahmos missile to destroy life to save life we we invest 1 to 2% what are wow. we asking We are worse than Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. You know, Sri Lanka is in crisis. Pakistan is in crisis. Okay, they are burning. You know, they don't have money. But our investment in health is worse than Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. This is why wow. we are. Say we are the most uh, developing country. You now we are like number two or three in finance. I mean, say, so come on, it doesn't add. Two plus two doesn't add. You need to really think and say, 
hang on, we got most populous country, 1.5 billion people. We have to invest in health. We can't have one, two percent. We can't have lip service. We have to invest maybe right. 10 percent, you know, of the GDP. Like we're using it to kill people, using Brahmos missile, this missile, that missile. And now the I think there's an article that India is investing some 45 billion dollars, something like that, some crazy amount on the on the killer drones, the predatory drones that the US is selling. Uh, you you might know, you know, uh, the predatory drones. They've got a specific name. I don't get it in my uh, tongue now. But you know they're investing 45 billion US dollars for a predatory drone to kill the enemy, but they're not investing even 3% uh, of the GDP to save the lives of Indians. So uh, you know this is where the problem is really. So and make the healthcare affordable by you know putting money in the healthcare. Okay, then doctors will go to remote villages. We'll see because they're paid well. Why they will not? Uh, why they right. will not? You pay them like pittance, like a beggar. Why will they go? You know. They've got a family to look after also. They're also human beings. They also need money, just like our ministers and Babu's need money. So how can they go to villages and serve? You don't pay them. So this is the reality. You know, all the jobs in the villages, they are contract. That means six months, then you have to go to Babu, drive and get one more contract. And it continues for 10 and 20, 30, 40 years. Nobody wants to give a permanent job to a doctor or a teacher because that means a drain on the resources. That means no chance for corruption. So, you know, where I'm coming from. You know, these are the fundamental problems. And hence, the people in the village, if I go to Bangalore, I have to spend oh, okay, man. Yeah. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so, like, I'm so interested in what you have to say, Dr. Srikanth. I think we got cut twice. I think uh, I, I don't want to miss out some, like, we missed out some of the things you're talking about. And I, these are some very serious topics. And I don't want to be at the mercy of this bad connection. How about how about I come to Bangalore and when it's convenient to you, we can have a follow-up? Yeah, yeah, because now it's around uh, 1 20, now it's lunchtime, and apparently today is Father's Day. So yeah. I have to take my Happy Father's Day. Greenland, you know, for a movie, we're okay. watching uh, this, uh, uh, you know, uh, Adi Purish, you know, uh, okay. support. So let the kids uh, learn some idealism, at least in a very a world filled with negativity and uh, nuclear war and all. So at least <laughs> let them learn some ideal stuff. So yeah. this is a good thing. So I think uh, we can call it a great day today. And maybe when you come to Bangalore, we can sit face to face and uh, continue. And, and yeah. there are so many ways uh, to exp uh, explore really, because you know, I genuinely want to change my country. I really am passionate about uh, India. And I, in fact, I tell yeah. that, you know, there are good patriots, you know, in UK and US, you know, in Europe, in Australia, in New Zealand, then in India. You know, people get very upset with me. They say, Srikan, how do you say that? But that's the truth. Yes. There's so many people who love India, like, you know, absolutely. In the UK, in the US, in the Australia, you know, and our people, uh, you know, don't, don't want to recognize that. They say, oh, these people have gone, left the country for money. Okay, that's fine, boss, because you didn't give the opportunity for them to stay here. Right. Okay, you don't want to look at that. You just say, oh, they're making money because you're jealous. But they genuinely want to do good to you. While you are indulged in corruption, more corruption, freebies, and this, and then looting right. the country. You know, right. what is the point? How right. will the country improve? You know, good for the country, even though they may be outside the country. So, you know, that's, that's the way. Okay, let's connect again when, once yes. you're back and we can explore these issues further. Okay. Yes, yes. And, and yeah, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Srikanth. We'll absolutely, I'll keep, I'll, I'll uh, let's continue this when I get back. These are some very serious topics that I, I'm so thankful that you brought these up. Like I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak, that you know some of these issues, like you're talking about, where 
you know, you have this ad hoc planning or you, do, you we really don't have an advocacy system where, you know, there's these kind of uh, uh, ideas kind of percolate from the bottom up from the doctors and all those communities back and advocate for the, for, for, for things that make sense versus a small group of people, all of these topics. And even like, uh, I think I missed out on some aspect of what you were saying with the um, health illiteracy. And that seems very fascinating to me. It's like, it's, it's like, it's something that I feel like we should attack like right now. We, we, we need to talk about it because I, I hear it all the time and it just shocks me. It pains me to see that like outcomes are really bad. Even that eight out of 10 stat that you were talking about, people going to Nati Vaidya and all that, like, oh my God, there's so many different ways we could get into. Um, I appreciate your time. I'll let you go. Thanks, to doc, uh, Dr. Srikant. We'll, we'll talk soon. Thank you, Raju. Thank you so much for your time. And yeah, uh, yeah we'll connect again. Uh, okay. Likewise, Cheers. we'll talk soon. Thank you. Cheers. Have a good day in the Himalayas. Best Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye.